Fred Redman is International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers Union, the USW. Now, he joined the Steelworkers Union when he went to work at Reynolds Metals Company back in 1973. He's just returning from the 2016 Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference that was in our nation's capital. The AFL-CIO has brought together more than 1,000 workers, and that includes a delegation of hundreds from the United Steelworkers. And they wanted to discuss how the politics of hatred has enriched the wealthy and deprived the rest of us, no matter what the color, the gender, the age, or the orientation. More than a pleasure to have back with us. Happy New Year, sir, and a belated happy MLK Day to you, Mr. Fred Redman. Mr. Redman, good afternoon. Welcome back. Yo. Uh, good to have you with us uh, once uh, again here on this Tuesday. You know, uh, you. you know, President Gerard normally writes the USW piece for the Huffington Post. It uh, it was a nice uh, surprise to see that you wrote this piece. And honestly, this was a very passionate and emotional piece. It was obvious that you feel personally connected to this and not just professionally. Can you speak to that, Mr. Redmond? Well, sure, Leslie. I uh, And I do feel very passionate about this issue because, you know, for years the uh, bosses in the plant have divided us as union members on the basis of race. Uh, they pit one worker against another worker. And, um, you know, with what's happening in today's political climate, uh, when we see people uh, who aspire to be president of this country, dividing this country on the basis of race and religion. And, um, you know, I just wanted to take a moment and just put on paper some reflections in the form of a blog and just, uh, you know, remind working people that the only way that we're going to, you know, deal with the issues that's important to working families is that we have to move beyond this issue of race, and we have to embrace each other as brothers and sisters, and we have to um, just address the issues that's important in this time in our history, and we have to just reject the politics of race and religion and unite behind a common cause of economic and social justice. Uh, this is 2016, and from January 15th through the 18th in our nation's capital, where you were and just returned from, there was right. the Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference. Now, obviously, the conference was to celebrate the life and the legacy of the work of Dr. King, but what was it also to do now, uh, you know, in light of that life and legacy and his wishes for the future, where we are now presently in 2016? Yeah, well, since uh, 2002... The AFL-CIO have uh, put together uh, this conference. Uh, we refer to it as the Martin Luther King Conference, and it's you know we uh, start the uh, Friday uh, before the holiday, and we culminate by participating in um, King celebrations on that Monday. But throughout the weekend, we not only uh, celebrate the life of Dr. Martin Luther King by spending time uh, on that Saturday. We spent time going into the community, doing uh, community work in the spirit of Dr. King, which he would like us all to do. But then we spent the rest of the time really dealing with issues that's affecting the labor movement and the communities where we live and work today. Uh, there was numerous workshops and panel discussions. We dealt with issues of mass incarceration and criminal justice reform. Uh, we talked about uh, how to discuss this issue of race 
um, you know, with our brothers and sisters of all different colors and different genders? How do we have this discussion about this issue that uh, has a tendency to divide us? We talked about organizing. We talked about coalition building. We was joined by community partners and allies, and it was just um, on on top of. Uh, pausing to pay respect to Dr. King, it was an energizing conference in order to energize us and to reflect on the life of Dr. King, but also to uh, take a candid look at where we are now and the work that we need to do this year. It was you know, a fantastic uh, conference. Um, is, it, it's, I wish I had gone. <laughs> it's, it, it, sounds, it sounds great. Um, so that uh, people understand the politics of hatred, how this mm-hmm. has enriched the wealthy, how it has uh, deprived the rest. And, and that rest, the majority of that rest is the working class. This is such a big deal. And I love, by the way, the theme of this year, change the rules, be the power. This is such a big deer, deal um, that last year the AFL-CIO, uh, um, you know, in, in conjunction, uh, you know, with you guys, established the Labor Commission on Racial and Economic Justice to further this dialogue. So in other words, if you have to have a commission established, this is a a problem. Tell us why it's a problem and why it's even a bigger problem now. Well, the problem uh, has been lingering for some years, Leslie, and if I'm to be quite candid with you, in 1959, uh, A. Philip Randolph, who was the president of the Sleeping Car Porters, the only African-American member of the AFL-CIO Executive Council, stood up at an AFL-CIO convention in 1959, and uh, he told the audience that we need to have a discussion on race. Okay, because we have black locals, we have white locals, we have companies and bosses that's dividing us. And he was met with a response from George Meany, who was the president of the AFL-CIO in 1959. And Mr. Meany's response was, through the thunderous applause of the audience, was he looked at Mr. Randolph and said, who made you the spokesman for the Negro? And uh, Philip Randolph was ordered to sit out at that convention. So it's a the discussion that the labor movement have shied away from for over 50 years when Mr. Randolph tried to have this discussion. It's a tough discussion for people, but it's a discussion that we must have when we reflect back on our history and when we look at the fact, without going all the way back, in 2008, 32% of working people voted against their own best interests by voting for John McCain, who had a terrible record when it comes to organized labor. And then in 2012, 28% of working families in this country, union members, voted against their own economic best interests when they voted uh, for Mitt Romney. So as we analyze you know, these situations and, 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 and have these discussions with our members, then when the newspapers and the polls print today that 20% of Democrats are supporting Donald Trump, okay, then one don't have to take a very educated guess to assume those are union members. So, you know, race has been a dividing factor in the labor movement. Uh, Not that the labor movement is racist, but we have to learn how to discuss these issues that they're using to divide working-class people. And I want to commend President Rich Trumpka for starting this commission 
And, um, you know, and, and look, we've been having some perfectly honest discussions. Um, you know, we've been, you know, we get into a room with white, black, Latino, Asian labor leaders in a specific area and uh, around this country, and we have the real live discussion about race and how it's dividing us and, you know, getting different views and opinions. And we ask ourselves the tough questions, and then we bring in community leaders to join us in the discussion. And we're doing that, Leslie, because, uh, the, you know, the labor movement have to become part and really focus on becoming part of a larger movement towards social justice. And when we look at the, you know, current statistics, and we know that people who are more prone or more acceptable to join a labor union happen to be black women. Next to black women happen to be black males, then after black males come Latinos. These are people in organizing drafts that are more prone to join a union, and we're dealing with communities that's in pain right now. And we feel we have to be responsive and have dialogue with those communities if we're going to grow the labor movement. Mr. Redmond, I've met you. You are an African-American male in America, a nation that has a legacy of racism. We have racial injustice and a legacy of that. And it continues to be uh, an obstacle, and specifically an obstacle uh, to workers and workers' efforts. Two things. One, are you surprised in 2016 that with our history and where we are today that we are still having this conversation um, about race and, and about this being an obstacle to workers? And two, how did it make you feel when the statement released by the AFL-CIO Executive Council actually acknowledged, quote, an ugly history of racism in our own movement. So could you speak to those two points, Mr. Redmond? Sure. First of all, I'm, um, I'm not totally surprised. I'm, I'm not surprised that we're having this, this discussion in 2016 because, you know, the economic climate that we went through with the collapse of the markets in uh, 2008, uh, you know, people in this country have became angry. And it's an easy way out for those who support the the uh, corporations making more money and, you know, trickle-down economics. It's easy for them to tell people who are going through some real economic tough times, who have been through economic tough times, you know, it's easy for them to point the finger at other people and say it's their fault as opposed to dealing with the economic realities in this country, is that we have a failed tax system. Uh, we have a, um, uh, a health care system that for years have been broken. The president have taken a good first step, but we have a way to go. Corporations are still reaping the benefits. In the last 30 years, productivity done went up, but working Americans still haven't got a real uh, raise in terms of of uh, wages. We have a fight for 15 where we're trying to at least get people to a decent wage where they can at least have a small shot in life by making $15 an hour. When you compel, when you come, when, when these economic issues start to compel on people, okay, then people want to know what's the problem. And it's easy for Donald Trump to point at at, at, at Muslims, it's easy for people to point at at, at, at blacks and, and and the welfare system and say those people are the problem, as opposed to 
pointing to what the real problem is, okay? It's the economic structure in this country. It's the 1% who harvested all of the wealth at the expense of the rest of us. As far as the labor movement is concerned, I was proud of the labor movement to acknowledge our past because the labor movement uh, in the past have not been open to all people. I mean, um, and it goes across building trades, public sector, private sector. When we look at the leadership of unions in this country, uh, you know, even though uh, minorities and women are more acceptable to joining unions, uh, we, we, we don't have enough minorities and women in leadership positions in the labor movement. And for the labor movement under the leadership of Rich Trumpka to take the position that we got to have these discussions, okay, we got to acknowledge the past in order for us to move into the future with a diverse, with a powerful movement that's going to uh, address issues of economic uh, uh, economic issues that affect working people, then I think the AFL-CIO should be commended. I'm not surprised with the history because I've studied the history. I've been an advocate within my union and throughout the labor movement on issues of diversity. And it was a proud moment for me when uh, the AFL-CIO came to the conclusion that, yeah, it's time for us to have this discussion and to coalesce around issues of common concerns of all of our members. We're going to take a break. We'll be back with Mr. Fred Redman right here on the only true democracy in talk radio. If you have questions or comments, opinions you want to share, pick up the phone and join us. 888-6-LESLIE, 888-653-7543 is the number. Mr. Redman is International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers Union. He joined them when he was with Reynolds Metals Company in 1973. The website for the USW is usw.org. You can follow them on Twitter, both at USW Blogger for President Gerard and at Steelworkers. We'll be back right after this. Leslie Marshall, the simple truth in a complicated world. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Mr. Fred Redmond, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers Union, is our guest. We're talking about his great piece that he wrote in the Huffington Post. We provide links to that online on our website, etc. But we're also talking about the um, racial and economic justice, uh, the uh, labor commission that the AFL-CIO launched, and Mr. Redmond's involvement in that. And um, quite frankly, how racism obviously hurts all, but specifically how it plays into uh, the uh, income inequality, how it plays into many other areas of employment, and not just for union workers. Uh, Mr. Redmond, thank you for holding, and welcome back. I, thank I, you. Want, I, I wanted to speak to you um, about that. There are, uh, I, I think since the death of Trayvon Martin, we have seen in this country uh, more of a dialogue around the role of race. And I know that the AFL-CIO has worked to open a constructive dialogue around uh, the role of race. You talked about the speech by the AFL president, President Trumpka, uh, in Ferguson, um, and, and discussions among local leaders, and certainly in the wake of Michael Brown's death in, in, in Ferguson. Um, do, 
these are obviously not good things that happen, the death of two young African-American men, the, den of, the death of any uh, two men. But has, if we can turn these lemons into lemonade, is it good that we're having a dialogue? And do you feel this dialogue has been constructive thus far, Mr. Redmond? Yeah, I think the dialogue has been have been constructive. It's been tough dialogue, but it's, it, 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 it has been uh, constructive. Uh, we have uh, white labor leaders in our state AFL-CEOs and our central labor councils, good leaders who uh, love the labor movement, who who are very committed. Uh, you know, they 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 acknowledge in some of the meetings we've had acknowledgement is the fact that we don't know how to have those discussions. I mean, you know, uh, we have uh, police unions that's part of the state feds and these central labor councils. And how do you have a discussion without alienating our uh, police brothers and sisters, uh, brothers and sisters of law enforcement, where, you know, 98.9% .9 of them are good people? Right. You know, so, you know, how do we have these discussions have been... Um, uh, you know, a, a topic of discussion, uh, you know, how do we do that? Absolutely. And then also, you know, uh, what role should the labor movement play in Black Lives Matter? Is it a role for the labor movement? And, you know, we've had some open dialogue uh, about issues of what exactly is labor's role. So to have the discussions, I think, have been good and yep. offered people to express their opinions and hopefully come up with some solutions. We're going to take another break. That's our shortest segment. By the way, if you say, well, wait a minute, I thought you said that Fred Redmond's with the USW. Uh, this commission is co-chaired uh, by Mr. Redmond, by the way. And the forums in cities across this nation that have been conducted, they will continue throughout the year 2016. And by the way, great news. The meetings, well, we're Workers of all ages, genders, religions, and colors have been going there and sharing and hearing others' experiences, anxieties, fears, and solutions. This is only a good thing, and it'll be better as we go forward. Back after this. Talking with Mr. Fred Redman, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers. And uh, we are talking about the 2016 Martin Luther King Jr. Civil and Human Rights Conference in Washington, D.C. He came back from that. Uh, he has co-chaired a labor commission and continues to on racial and economic justice. Uh, before we take some calls, Mr. Redman, are you also surprised, at, you know, how there's, uh, you know, both male and female, various colors, various religions, uh, various ages uh, that are interested in this and interested in hearing experiences of those that have been affected, um, how, you know, by by this injustice uh, based on race and, and how that does affect jobs, how that does affect economy and the economic situation in the African-American community especially. Yeah, I've been uh, very surprised with the makeup of the audiences. Uh, I had no interest in going out talking to all black audiences because I do that, okay, on a regular basis. But uh, the, the audiences have been very diverse, Leslie. Uh, we've been to Oakland, California, Cleveland, Ohio. We've been to Boston. Um, and, I mean, you know, and, 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 you know, we're going to St. Louis, Minneapolis, Birmingham, uh, uh, those that are on, the, are, are, are on the schedule coming up, but the audience have been so diverse, and we've been getting uh, union members who really feel that 
you know, really had burning questions, you know, that they wanted to talk about. And uh, we created a safe space within the Racial Commission. And I'm co-chairing the committee with uh, Mark Perrone, the international president of the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, whose union have done a great deal of work on this issue. And I've really been surprised how much people uh, find this issue uh, of race one that we need to talk about in this country. Let's take some calls. We go to line two in Georgia with Reggie. Reggie, good afternoon. Thank you for joining us, listening on Progressive Voices. Question or comment from Mr. Redmond. Well, how you doing, Leslie? Happy Tuesday to you and your guest, Mr. Redmond, too. Thank, Thank you. you. Um, I would like to ask Mr. Redmond a question. Why do you think, why is it that you, that you think exactly that all these right-wing Republicans, whether whether they be politicians, radio and TV talk show hosts, or political candidates such as Donald J. Donald J. Trump and others, hate unions so damn much. But I'm sure when they were young and they, they wish they were in a union, or they probably were in a union, or when wish they had a union to support them in their dire times of need and, and distress. Mm-hmm. And that's what yeah. keeps this country and this nation and their economic financial workforce going, is it not? No, you're exactly right. You raise a, and thanks for the question. I think what we're experiencing is a situation where people like Donald Trump and others uh, do not feel that they represent, uh, or they, or it's not a matter of them feeling. We know that they don't really represent working people. They represent corporations. They represent big business. And uh, they hate unions because the only thing that stands between us and uh, the major corporations is a strong labor union movement. And uh, they feel as though we are in the way of them creating the type of America that we don't want, an America where the rich get richer and uh, the middle class gets squeezed out while the poor get poor. And uh, so they hate labor unions. They hate collective bargaining. Uh, I heard Mr. Trump say that he don't believe that there should be a minimum wage in this country. So, you know, these are people who feel as though all the wealth should go to the top. Uh, There should be no change in the status quo. They want to squeeze workers more. And they hate unions because unions is what's standing in their way from creating the type of country that they feel if they can lower wages in this country and lower work standards is that they'll be able to compete more on the global market where we're competing against countries that don't have the um, type of labor movement that we have in the United States and countries where workers are being oppressed. And they're trying to move us in a situation where we can't compete with low-wage workers around the world. So I think that's the problem. Uh, thank you, Reggie, for the call. I appreciate it. Um, you know, another thing, you had mentioned, Mr. Redmond, that when you see some of these supporters and you look at, you know, uh, the demographics, you know that some of these supporters are union workers. I don't understand how anybody in their right mind who's in any union could support mm-hmm. any Republican because whether it's Scott Walker in Wisconsin and, you know, we, you know we've yeah. seen others that just – demonize the unions and want to blame any economic problem on the unions when that is simply not true. It's, you know, fact check doesn't fact that that out to be true. Absolutely. And, you know, when we got people like Trump saying he's going to build a wall, you know, he's going to keep the immigrants out by building a wall, General Motors go make cars over in Mexico, you know, they're not going to be able to bring them back to the United States and sell them. These are messages that resonate 
to people who are hurting because of unfair trade agreements, because of loss of an industrial manufacturing base, and they're looking for for answers. And uh, Mr. Trump's message is 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 you know he's peddling a message to them that he's going to be the tough guy on trade. He's going to negotiate good deals without giving specifics. And you know he he's 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 telling people that he's going to solve all of their problems. So then when he says something like, "I'm not going to let no Muslims into the country," that message is not heard. It's overshadowed. Okay, by things that he says he's going to do that we know he can't do, or we know he's not going to do. Okay, most of what he says don't make any logical sense whatsoever, but he's playing to the hearts of people who have been hurt, people who are angry, and he's telling them what they want to hear. Okay. And, and even though people don't like to hear his name, he's doing exactly what Hitler did with the Germans in World Absolutely. War II, blaming Absolutely. less than 1% of the population. Mr. Redman, um, you talk about, um, and, 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 and I think it, it's pretty clear that you feel strongly that unions must mobilize to defeat racism, and let's talk about why with specifics. Racism destroys solidarity. Racism brutalizes union members, um, and, right. and let's talk about that in the changing demographic of the working people, of the middle class in this nation. Well, the uh, dynamics of the um, the dynamics of the working class is, you know, it's, it's, it's no secret that the world is changing, um, you know, by the year 2030, uh, the predominant workers in this country will be uh, black, brown, yellow, female, and young. And, uh, you know, those are dynamics that we're dealing with in, in, in this country just by the changing demographics. So as workers, we need to, first of all, you know, understand that. And then second of all, we need to look at our movement and prepare a movement for that future workers' demographics, you know, that's going to be here in the United States. Uh, it's important that we have the uh, conversation because, you know, look, as I mentioned in the blog, you know, we don't have white pension plans, we don't have black pension plans, and thanks to the labor movement, we don't have black wages and white uh, uh, wages, you know, we're all in this together. Yes. And then history has shown what happens when the labor movement coalesces around economic issues. I mean, we change things. So, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's important that we have this discussion so that we can remove these barriers, okay, and really focus on issues of economic justice, because that's what's driving people apart in this country. Um, you know, no matter how much they have tried to, you know, divide us on race, when we come together as a labor movement, and stand up for economic reciprocity and issues of, uh, you know, supporting our families and issues of living wages, we win. And that's why they try more and more to drive us apart, and that's why their message is about uh, division, is playing to the uh, hearts of people who have been disillusioned with uh, the way that this economy is going. And, uh, you know, that's why we have to talk these sort of things through.
Uh, and give people that I'm no a fan. question. No, Mr. Redmond. You know, some people might say, "Well, you're an African American, Mr. Redmond. You know, you have a you know you have a vested interest in this as a black man in America, or uh, the unions." Dot dot dot. But let's talk about a report that was issued. It's entitled "Race and Economic Jeopardy for All." It is by Ian Hanny Lopez, and he is a Berkeley Law Professor and mm-hmm. Director of the Racial Politics Project at Berkeley's Haas Institute for a Fair and Inclusive Society. And in that report. In other words, facts, not just sound bites, not just right. opinions, facts. The report explains exactly how politicians deliberately use racism and how this deliberate use of racism has hurt workers. For folks that aren't familiar with the report, haven't read it, can you share some of uh, what you learned from this, Mr. Redmond? Sure. Ian Haney Lopez is, is one of the economic, I'm sorry, academic advisors to the Race Commission, and he wrote a um, fantastic book called Dog Whistle Politics. And um, what Ian is saying is is that politicians' deliberate use of, of uh, racism has been a tool to, you know, divide workers and to point at subsets in society as people that don't look like them, okay, and then use a message that blame these folks, okay, that don't look like them as being the problem as opposed to advancing an economic agenda so that we could, uh, you, you, you know, go after the economic um, uh, uh, problems that we have in this country and move towards shared prosperity. So, you know, racism in itself, by, the, by dividing us from coming together, have not just affected black workers, but that's the reason why white workers are mad. I mean, that's the reason why, you know, white workers are mad because they don't see themselves, okay, moving up in society in terms of uh, a shared prosperity, okay, and they use race to keep us from discussing the real issues of the day that's not allowing us to share in the wealth that workers create in this country every day. So, you know, uh, 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 it's not blacks and minorities that's being impacted uh, exclusively. It's all workers are being impacted. When I say that we haven't got a real uh, uh, increase in wages over 30 years, when you look at the the, uh, wage increases that we do get in our collective bargaining agreements, they're being eaten up with uh, exacerbating health care costs. Our pension plans are under attack. So the wages that we get disappear and are offset by other, you know, uh, uh, attacks on other benefits that we have gotten in this country. And then we look and see where uh, uh, productivity have increased to the tune of 70% over the last 30 years in this country. So this is these are issues that don't just affect uh, black or Latino workers. These are issues that affect all workers. Now, workers, uh, you know, our, our white brothers have a tendency to project that anger that they have, okay, toward messages of people like Trump explaining to him that, well, it's that woman on welfare, it's that black lady on welfare that's, um, you know, your problem, you know. Yep. It's this whole affirmative action stuff, the reason why, you know, you're not reaching the status that you should reach in life. And it's those sort of messages that have that they're using to divide us so that we can't come so so, so hopefully uh and 
uh, under their agenda, we will not come together to address the real issues that affect us from having shared prosperity. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Mr. Redmond, we're going to talk about how difficult it is um, to, uh, you know, really work on racism and what effect, it, negative effect it has on workers and on uh, a unionist togetherness and, and how it's a you know divider and how Trump's rhetoric hurts. And we're going to talk about your great piece for the Huffington Post entitled, Hate Cost Workers Dearly. Titles, very powerful. So is the piece. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Mr. Fred Redman is our guest, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers Union. Leslie Marshall, when the truth matters. Give her a call now at 888-6-LESLIE. Uh, Redmond, Mr. Redmond, before we talk about your great piece, uh, uh-huh. briefly, is is it more difficult now, especially, you know, like we said, the conversation has started and the, and the death of those young men, Michael Brown and Trayvon Martin, have uh, really fueled that conversation. And I think there's right. been a lot of constructive conversation in and outside of the media. But is it difficult for you the, and the USW and the AFL to drown out the racial rhetoric that Donald Trump speaks because, you know, he's got he's running for president. And when he shows up, the cameras are there. Well, yeah, it's, it's extremely difficult because one of the things that I've learned through this experience, Leslie, first of all, you know, it's not our goal. And we're not uh, naive to the point where we think we're going to abolish or eliminate racism, even though that would be a noble effort. You know, we, 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 we the, the the effort is about, you know, calling people together to, you know, create a safe space and a forum where people could project that anger, where people could, uh, you know, feel comfortable. And that's the try to, kind of atmosphere we try to create to uh, express their thoughts and their opinion. And then we have a discussion. You know, and then we try to move that discussion in a way where we can, you know, really get to the root of why all of this ha- hatred, it, you know, exists within our society, especially amongst working people, you know. Uh, and it's difficult. It's difficult because, you know, we're living at a, in, in a time where, um, you know, people are, being divided, and, and it's not just on race, you know. We look at people being, we look at religious divisions, uh, we look at gender divisions, we look at uh, people being divided on the basis of their sexual preference, and the hatred that comes from the extreme right-wing element in this society of people whose beliefs they don't, they first of all, they don't identify with or they don't in, or, or or they don't support. I mean, it's been vicious. And, uh, you know, throughout this country, even when Lyndon Johnson, uh, you know, created the war on poverty, you know, folks was able to have a discussion about poverty. They was able to, 
uh, you know, try to talk in the area of solutions as opposed to blaming people for situations that existed throughout this country. You know, in today's political environment, uh, you know, we watch how, you know, I, I never thought, Leslie, I would live to see the day where a president would be criticized, okay, for negotiating the release of hostages, okay? But that tells you the type of division that we're living in. And if we be honest with ourselves, the vitriol and the abuses against this president, you know, I feel is on the basis of his race. And that have perpetrated throughout this country where, um, you know, People are, you know, blaming folks that don't look like them for the problems of this country that we're having throughout this country. So it's very, very difficult. And in the labor movement, you know, we, we, we just felt as though the discussion must be had by our members. You know, and to and like I said, it's 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 been tough discussion. I mean, everybody don't come in and agree with each other, but we've been able so far to do it in a constructive manner. Don't everybody uh, leave there singing kumbaya, okay? But we hope that the discussion will lead toward people uh, having a sense of understanding each other, okay? Of understanding that the same thing that pains. Uh, the white working class pains the black working class, pains the Latino community, pains uh, Muslims, pains Christians, and that is the the lack of economic uh, fairness in this country. And we got to think of a way to solve that problem. And the only way we get to the business of problem solving is if we have a discussion about these issues that's preventing us from having that discussion on how do we better the lives for our children and our grandchildren. In, in your great piece, and lastly and briefly, you talk about since Richard Nixon, the hate mongering has been a strategy by the GOP to secure the vote of white workers. We're That's seeing right. we're seeing Latino uh, voters make up ten or more percent of the voting population. African Americans' votes growing, even Asian community and other minorities. Um, do you feel that this will be political suicide for the GOP in the future? I think so. I think so. I think that uh, you know more and more people are. You know, starting to see, uh, you know, we're opening up more and more eyes. I think that uh, by just having the discussion is that more and more people are starting to see that, you know, despite the fact that, uh, you know, they're having all of these economic issues in this country, wages are not being raised, uh, attacks on pension plans, uh, I think that people are slowly starting to wake up and see that, uh, you know, these are economic issues that have nothing to do with racism. They can yep. only be resolved as people come together. Absolutely. Mr. Redmond, thank you. Thank you for joining us, and thank you for your great piece. Fred Redmond, International Vice President of Human Affairs for the United Steelworkers Union. Go to the website, USW.org, and follow them on Twitter at USW Blogger and at Steelworkers. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.